our hearts this morning by your spirit. We pray that, Father, you would uh, go before us. Help us, Father, to follow hard after you, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength as we worship you during this season, especially as we remember what you've done for us and, and who you are and the blessings of this season, the message of Jesus Christ. And, Father, we, uh, we ask that you would be blessed and honored in all that is said and done this morning. And by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A woman was doing her last-minute Christmas shopping at a mall nearby, and she was tired of fighting the crowds. She was tired of standing in lines. She was tired of fighting her way along long aisles, trying to find that one gift that had been sold out days earlier. Her arms were full of uh, bulky packages. With She came to the elevator door at the store, and it, too, was full. The occupants of the elevator grudgingly tightened ranks to allow a small space for her and her load as she got into the elevator. And as the elevator doors closed, she blurted out, whoever is responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. A few nodded their heads, a few others grunted in agreement, and then from somewhere in the back of the elevator, a single voice said, don't worry, they already crucified him. <laughs> You know, the Christmas season is one of the most stressful times of the year. I don't know about you, but it certainly is in our family. A recent study revealed that almost 20% of people find that the experience of hosting guests and preparing all the Christmas meals and, and basically planning all the festivities is completely overwhelming. One third of all women feel more stressed out during December than at any other time of the year. In fact, all the other 11 months combined are not as stressful as December. Christmas is not only one of the most stressful times, it's also, also one of the most dangerous times. 3% of people every year in, are suffer from some kind of electric shock from bad Christmas tree wiring. Some 2.6 million people fall off a stool or a ladder trying to put up Christmas lights. A whopping 700,000 people every year have been injured in sales rushes as they try to snag that, that bargain. During this season, when it's so stressed out and, and even dangerous, we desperately need the joy and the peace that the Christmas message brings. But the only way we can do that, I find, is that we have to uh, intentionally stop the madness. We have to proactively embrace uh, the reason for the season, the message, the joy, the peace that we find in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So where is Jesus in all of this? You know, as a kid, I had a lot of questions around Christmas time. When I was young, I would think, well, what am I going to get at Christmas? Uh, would Santa come, or maybe I'm not on his good list? Would my crazy Aunt Lois knit me those socks, or maybe she would give me something I really wanted? Those are questions that came up. Uh, I, Margie tells the story of when she was little, she excitedly uh, tore open a package on Sunday morning and she shouted out, just what I always wanted. What is it? <laughs> My dad told me one time that he, when he was a kid, he really wanted a new bike. And so on Christmas morning, he excitedly went downstairs, he found this big package under the tree, he tore it open only to find an old used bike that even had a flat tire. That's all his parents could afford. And he said all he could do is rush into his bedroom and cry. <laughs> As we get older, our, our questions shift. As a parent, I had uh, far less questions about what, what was under the tree 
than I had about how I was going to pay for all those things under the tree. Many people have even bigger questions like, why am I here? Is this as good as it gets? And is there a God? And if so, why do I feel the way I feel? Questions. Where is Jesus in all of this? Well, that was actually the very first question at the very first Christmas. And it was a huge question that was asked not by insiders, but by outsiders. Not by religious leaders, but by truth seekers. Not by Jews, but by, by a bunch of pagan Gentiles. And we look, discover here in, in Matthew chapter 2, one of the greatest lessons that we discover about this whole Christmas story, and that's this. First and foremost, God reveals himself to those who seek him. He really does. He reveals himself to those who seek him. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So who were these Magi? Were they Magi? Were they kings? Were they wise men? Were they astrologers? Were they, were they, were, were they sorcerers? Who were they? Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> and for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been trying to nail down their identity. Who were they? We know that kings in the ancient world used to consult these men. These magi were gifted. They were skilled in interpreting omens and signs and movement in the stars. In fact, in the Old Testament, we have uh, the Persian uh, king and his magi crop up in the biblical timeline, both in the books of Esther and also in the book of Daniel. And in one particular statement, it kind of gives us a clue as to who these magi were. And when it talks about the uh, personal magi of King Xerxes, in Esther chapter 1, verse 13, Then the king said to the wise men, who knew the times, the men next to him, being the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. And so evidently these seven men were certainly magi, but they were also referred to as wise men. They were referred to as princes. And the book of Daniel describes how he and his companions were basically exiled for 70 years among these magi. In fact, there was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar who, uh, of Babylon who had, had the habit of going throughout his kingdom and gathering the brightest and the best of all the young men to form this inner circle, this advisory board, this executive cabinet, if you will, of sorcerers and stargazers and dreamers and wise men. Whenever he wanted to make a decision, these were the people, these were the go-to guys that he went to. When he captured Daniel and his three friends, he added them to this inner circle of magi. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 20, it tells us that in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters in his entire kingdom. There was something special about Daniel and his three friends. In episode one of the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had a mysterious dream one night. It was a weird dream. And in summoning his magi and all his enchanters and his cabinet close to him, he basically said this, listen, if you do not tell me what my dream was, in other words, I'm not going to tell you what the dream was, you tell me what I dreamed. He says, and then you, and then you interpret it. If you don't do that, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Now that was pretty serious. 
I don't know what would motivate these guys more than trying to come up with something, anything. But all they made were excuses. They couldn't do it. It was Daniel who rescued them, basically, by interpreting the dream and the interpretation uh, from the Lord. In awestruck gratitude, uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, the king placed Daniel in a high position, lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. So over all the magi, centuries before Jesus came on the scene, over the entire group of magi was Daniel. He knew what it meant to have magi bow before him. This whole episode of Daniel uh, and the Magi remind us of what happened in the book of Genesis. Uh, you might remember the Pharaoh of Egypt and how basically he had a strange dream. He had an executive cabinet that was packed full of wise men, astrologers, and magicians. And Genesis tells us of a young man by the name of Joseph who was uh, carted off to exile. And one night when Pharaoh had this dream, he woke up, he explained it to his magicians and Magi, but they could not figure out what it meant. It was Joseph, the Hebrew exile in prison, who provided Pharaoh the interpretation of that dream from the Lord. And in response, what did Pharaoh do? He treated him like a king. He put him as second in the land of Egypt. It says, they called out before him, bow the knee. And thus Pharaoh set him over all the land of Egypt. So long before Daniel, Joseph also knew what it was like to have Magi bow before him. And so among all the other things here, these magi, these wise men were astronomers, but they were also very familiar, familiar with the, uh, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And so they knew all about his promise, made seven centuries beforehand, that there would be a son born to a virgin, and also a light that would shine in the darkness. And so these magi weren't just astrologers or astronomers. They weren't just wise men. Uh, they weren't just godly men. These people were not just truth seekers, but also they knew the Old Testament. They knew the scriptures. They knew the prophets. And so when these magi, when these wise men arrive in Jerusalem, they begin asking questions. And they start asking questions that they assumed everybody else knew. Why? Because that special star in the night sky was visible to everyone. I mean, the Jews could have seen it. The, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Sadducees, they could have seen it. King Herod could have seen it, and maybe they did. Anyone who looked in the sky that night could see this magnificent star brightly in the heavens. But only the Magi saw the significance of it. Only the Magi followed that star in order to, to find Jesus. Only the Magi. Why? Who were these magi? Again, they were not only astronomers, they were priests, they were wise men, they were holy men who were seeking spiritual truth. They wanted answers. And by the way, it wasn't just three who showed up in Jerusalem that day. There were probably more like 300. And as they sought God's truth, God revealed himself to them. Why? Because that's what God does. God reveals himself to those who seek him. When I was 19 years of age, I had a, a deep desire to know God. I was in my uh, uh, sophomore or maybe junior year in college, and I really wanted to know God. And so I, one day I prayed, God, reveal yourself to me. Show me that you're real. And he did, but not in the way that I expected. Uh, he didn't uh, light up the sky with lightning flashes. There wasn't an angel that appeared before me. 
In fact, what happened is later that week I went to a Christian concert and I took along with me my best friend Mark. Mark was a devout atheist. Uh, he was a tough nut to crack, but he agreed to go with me to this Christian concert. Uh, there was no way that he would ever open his eyes to the reality that there was a God. There was no way that he would be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I said, well, come along with me to this concert. Let's just check it out. So he came along, and uh, at the end of the concert, this young, uh, I would, they, they're called hipsters today, but back then it was a hippie. A kind of a long-haired guy got up, and he shared the gospel. And at the end of the concert, he shared the gospel, and then he invited anyone and everyone who wanted to embrace and accept Christ as their Savior to come forward. To my amazement, my buddy Mark jumped out of his seat and literally ran to the front, along with about 50 or 100 other young people who came forward to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I was shocked. I sat there absolutely amazed, and I was convicted in my own heart, and I heard God's voice as clear as a bell say to me, am I real enough for you now? And I went forward that night as well. And my life has never been the same. You see, so many people today don't really see God, know God, or experience God because they're not really seeking Him. They're not really searching. They're not looking. And it's possible they don't really want to find Him. You know what's amazing about this story is that the wise men are not Jewish, and yet God led them to the Jews' Messiah, which really drives home the point that God is really telling the whole world, listen, this message of Jesus Christ is not just for the Jews. It's not just for my chosen people. He is the Savior of the entire world. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, black or white, rich or poor, male or female, smart or intellectually challenged. It doesn't matter. God will reveal himself to anyone who seeks him. But again, you've got to be looking. Jeremiah 29, 13, when you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, that's a promise. And so again, so many today don't know God, see God, or experience God because they're not looking. They don't know if they really want to find him. So my question is, are you looking for him this morning? Do you really want to find him? And that old cliche is certainly true. Wise men still seek him. Remember the famous story about the six blind men and the elephant? I've told it before. It's a classic story. You have six blind men. They come up to an elephant. They're trying to figure out what this thing is. One man touches the belly of the elephant, and he thinks it's a wall. Another one grabs the tail. He says, no, 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 it's not a wall. It's a, it's a rope. Another one touches the ear and says, no, it's a fan. On they go. They grab different parts of the elephant, trying to figure out what this thing really is. What's the point of the story? We're all blind men. We're all trying to figure out what God is like. We know part of him, but we really don't know who he is. And we think we know more than we really do. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, Taking God at His Word, points out that there are two major problems with this analogy. Two major issues. First of all, he writes, the whole story is told from the vantage point of someone who clearly knows that the elephant is an elephant. It doesn't make sense otherwise. For the story to make its point, the narrator has to have a clear and accurate knowledge of the elephant. There is an elephant. The second flaw with the story is even more serious. He says the story is a perfect, good description of human inability to know God by our own devices. We can't do it. We're blind. But 
He says the story never considers this paradigm-shifting question. What if the elephant could talk? <laughs> what if he tells the blind man, listen, guys, that wall-like structure, that's not a wall, that's my side. And that fan is really my ear. And that thing you think is a rope, it's my tail. If the elephant were to say all of this, would those six blind men be considered humble for ignoring his word? No. They'd be considered fools for not listening. Listen, we serve God as the elephant who talks. He's revealed himself. Dennis, uh, Francis Schaeffer put it this way, There is a God, and he is not silent. He went on to point out in his book uh, years ago that there are basically two presuppositions, two premises that we hold as Christians. Number one, there is a God. And secondly, he has revealed himself. How? How has God revealed himself? It's in the truth of, of what the Word of God, the Bible says, and in Christ, who is the spoken Word. That's how God has revealed himself, through the written Word and through the spoken Word. And so God has chosen to speak to us, to reveal himself to us, so that we don't have to act like those blind men trying to figure something out. He's told us. God not only reveals himself to those who seek him, but secondly, what we see from the story of the wise men is that God speaks to those who will listen. Are you listening? Am I listening? God speaks if we're listening. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. It tells us that the wise men or the magi, having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. And so after the wise men had this dream that God told them, whether there were 330 or 300, we don't know, but they all had this dream. They had a choice. They could have said, well, listen, I think this was kind of coincidental, but it wasn't God speaking to us. Maybe we had too many anchovies on our pizza the night before. I don't know. But, or they could say, no, this is God speaking to us. And it took even more faith for them to act on it. And they did what God told them to do. Get out of Dodge. Don't go back to Herod. How does he speak to us? How does God speak to you? One major way, again, is that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. You see, the wise men and the magi, they didn't just rely on the stars. That's not all they had. They, in a very real sense, read the stars through the lens, through the truth of what the scriptures already had told them. In other words, the star of Bethlehem simply backed up what they already knew from God's word. The psalmist declares, your lamp or your word is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path. God speaks to us through his word. If you're not in God's word, you're not hearing from God. I want to hear from God. I want to hear his voice daily. And so I get into God's word daily. Because in and through that, I hear him and I, I hear what he wants to say to me, the encouragement, the direction, where he wants to lead me. So when we read the Bible, God reveals himself. He reveals his will to us. He gives us direction for our lives and shows us the way that we should go. But here's the catch. You have to be willing to listen. Another way God speaks to us is through the preaching and teaching of his word. Romans 10, 17 makes an interesting statement. It says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. And so it's not just the written word of God, it's the spoken word of God based upon the written word of God. There's something about the word of God being preached and taught that is used by God's spirit to speak to our hearts. You know, back when I was at that concert at 19 years of age, I remember sitting there and 
when this uh, hippy-dippy guy got up and started sharing, uh, I wasn't all that impressed. To be honest, I don't think he was a very good speaker. Uh, he didn't seem to me to be very smart. <laughs> and yet something amazing happened. God used his words to convict me, to speak to my heart in a powerful, in a dynamic way. And God gave me direction as to what I was supposed to do from that point on. And I had an overwhelming sense that from that point on, God was going to lead me to serving him the rest of my life. I just knew it. You know, most preachers, most teachers fully recognize that in their best efforts to preach and teach and represent God, we fall far short of his glory. We fall, fall short of his, his character. We miss the mark. And yet God uses our feeble attempts to, by his spirit to speak to those who are listening for God's voice in and through a feeble and failing speaker. Preaching and teaching the Bible is sacred stuff. And there's not, a, there's not a morning I don't get up here and tremble when I realize I'm representing God in his word. And I take that very, very seriously. Finally, God speaks to us through other sources. For the Magi, for the wise men, it was through the stars, it was through dreams, it was through miracles. So although they, we need to use spiritual wisdom, we need to use discernment, we need to be careful we don't hear God's voice in every dream that we have. We simply cannot put God in a box and say he cannot speak to us in a certain way. For example, he may speak to you through the counsel of a close friend. He might speak to you through your parents, through your children, through an event that you're going through, through a book you've read, you're reading. He might uh, speak to you during, during times of prayerful meditation or when you're watching the news even. God might speak to you through that. Anytime you're listening to God's voice, he will speak. If we're willing to listen, God will speak to us. God is always speaking clearly, all the time. I'm not always hearing clearly. I've got so much static, so much stuff, so many things in my life, the busyness of life. Somebody said that busyness is the enemy of spirituality. It really is. We get so caught up and we hear so many other voices and so much other noise and static, it drowns out the voice of God who clearly is speaking to us all the time, all around us. But do we hear him? Are we listening? What is God saying to you today? What is the voice that you're hearing? Are you really listening? God reveals himself to those who seek him. God speaks to those who will listen. And finally, God leads those who are willing to follow. God leads those who are willing to follow. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. They set out, that is the wise men, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. They worshipped him. The star led the Magi to Jesus, and that star again was really there for anyone to see. Anybody could have looked up at the sky that day and saw that star. But only these wise men had the spiritual discernment and the willingness to be led by it. And God honored their search. Are you willing to let God lead you through the day-to-day -day events that you experience? Are you willing to let God give direction, purpose, meaning to your life? Do you trust Him? Do you really trust Him with your life? You know, it's not so much finding God's will 
for your life as it is, being willing to do what God wants you to do no matter what. And I think he's more willing and, 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 and revealing to us when we're willing to do whatever he asks. And the road is not always easy, but God will lead you if you're willing to follow. I've told the story before about a missionary years ago who got totally disoriented, totally lost in an African jungle. For miles around, there was nothing but African bush, and he was totally lost. There was nothing around him where he could find his way out or find his way home. And as he was going along through the jungle, fighting his way through, he found a native hut. And basically, he asked the native if he could lead him out. The native said, sure, I can lead you out. Follow me. The missionary got excited. Please show me the way. They walked, they hacked, they stumbled their way through the jungle for hours on end. And finally the missionary said, where are we going? Where's the path? The native said, in this place there is no path. I am the path. <laughs> Follow me. You know, there could be times in our life I think all of us face when we realize that there's no clear direction. There's no clear answers. We feel lost. But it's at those times that we can trust ourselves completely to God who will lead us as we follow him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my favorite promises. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. It's a wonderful promise. The truth is that he wants to lead us far more than we want to follow. <laughs> you know, today's scripture is really... Uh, not new to any of you. It's a story that we've heard since we were children. But it's a story that bears repeating because it has a powerful message for each and every one of us. It offers a clear window to the nature, to the character of God, and how he relates to us. It's a story for all of God's people, reminded us, reminding us daily that uh, he wants to be involved in our day-to-day -day lives, uh, revealing himself to us and speaking to us and leading us step by step along the path he wants us to take. Why is that? In order that we might faithfully follow his son Jesus Christ as disciples, as, a, as apprentices who are committed to uh, being all that God wants us to be, molded and shaped into the very image of Jesus himself. So how do the Magi respond? <laughs> they worship the newborn king. They fall down before him. They lift up their praise to him. They give gifts for him. And when you and I realize in a fresh new way who God is and what he's done for us, that can be our only response, to give him, to surrender to him all that we are. You know, from a very young age, most of us realize that when we really want answers, really beneath that, what we want is a person. Uh, when I, at five years of age, stub my toe, I don't want answers as to why I stub my toe. I just want a hug from my mom. When I'm eight years old and I get snubbed by my friends, it's grandma and her cookies that make me feel better. It's not the answers, it's the person. I think it's the same with us as adults. When you've gone through a season of loss in your life, chances are you're looking for more than just answers. You're looking for a person. Maybe you think everything will be resolved if all my questions are answered, all the big questions if they're answered. But we, what we really need is a person. Frederick Buechner, the great uh, preacher and author, he imagines what it would be like if God intervened in the universe in a dramatic and powerful way. And he paints for us a picture, an illustration. He writes, suppose, for, example, for instance, 
Suppose that God were to take the great river of the Milky Way, as we see it from down here, flowing across the night sky, and were to brighten it up a little, and then rearrange it all so that all of a sudden one night the world would step outside, look up at the heavens, and see not the usual haphazard scattering of stars, but written out in letters light years tall, the sentence, I really exist. God. <laughs> what if that happened? You know, why doesn't God reveal himself like that once and for all? Think about it. I mean, every atheist would be knocked speechless. Every church the next Sunday would be packed full. Every conversation would center around God. But, of course, that's not the way God reveals himself to us. But what an incredible impact that would make on the world. Why doesn't he do that? Well, we all want proof, right? But proof is not in the stars. That's not the kind of assurance that we need. And Buchner writes this. He says, what we need to know is not just that God exists amidst the steely brightness of the stars, but that there is a God right here in the thick of our day-by-day -day lives who may not write messages in the heavens, but who in one way or another is trying to get messages through our blindness as we move around down here in the knee-deep muck and misery of this world. God is with us. And the answer that these wise men found that night wasn't what they expected. Their answer in the stars led them to a crib in a barn, and in it a baby who would be the savior of the world. They were looking for an answer, but instead what they found is a person, the savior of the world. God with us. And maybe that's what you need right now, far more than answers. You need a person. You need God with us, God with you. You need God with you in the heartbreak that you've just experienced or the breakup that you've just gone through or the, the mess of your family or the sadness that you might be experiencing right now. Maybe you need God with you to get through the success that you're experiencing and yet the, the emptiness of that success. God with you in the financial tension that you're facing or in the challenges that you're having to go through, the dark times. God with us. That's what the Magi found, God with us. They didn't find an idea or a sign or an answer. They found something better. They found a person. They found God with us, Emmanuel. You know, God didn't just come to earth. <laughs> he came to you. He came for the Magi. He came for the shepherds. He came for Mary. He came for Joseph. But he also came for you. It was personal. It was personal. But finding Jesus demands a response, and God today invites you to respond to what he has so graciously given to us. You are not alone. God is with us. Maybe the answer you're looking for isn't really an answer. Maybe this morning you'd have to admit it's a person. I need a person. I need a real person. And the good news of Christmas is that person is here. That's what the message is all about. The Lord says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. We're searching for and we have found and received a person. Do you really want to find him? <laughs> How's your life working out so far? Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus invites us, Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Are you tired? Do you lack that peace? Do you lack that assurance? There's a sweet fellowship that he offers. Revelation 3.20 is, is Christ's invitation to us. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears my voice 
and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. In other words, there's a fellowship going on there. There's a personal relationship going on there. There's a person involved in that, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is real. And he invites us to open that door. Have you opened the door to him? How do you do that? Romans 10, 9 and 10. If, we confess, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, he's the boss, he's the one behind the driver's seat. If you confess that, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, in other words, he is who he claims to be, the Messiah, the chosen one, the Son of God, he rose from the dead to prove that. If you believe that, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. There's no better time than today. No better time than, than Christmas to open up that gift that God has so graciously given to each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father God.